1: ladies hello gentlemen this is the Victor Davis Hanson show I'm Jack Fowler the host and the star namesake Victor Davis Hanson is the Martin and Ely Anderson senior fellow at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Busky distinguished fellow in history at Hillsdale College Victor as you all know is a farmer a classicist a military historian I think I think and many others agree with me America's best political analyst best-selling author his latest book Oh, Victor! I'm trying to blank here. the citizenship, the dying citizen, the dying
2: citizen. <laughs> citizen. Paperback.
1: Yeah, my dying memory. <laughs> uh, uh, you've, got long, you've got long.
2: You've got long cola. Don't worry.
1: I got well, maybe medium term. So, you can find a link for for the dying citizen at VictorHanson.com, and I'll tell you more about that in a little bit. We've, we're going to talk about people today. The people will be Stacey Abrams, Steve Bannon, uh, little Tony Fauci and Chairman Xi of China. And we'll start off with Stacey Abrams, and we'll do that right after these important messages.
0: Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills.
1: There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. I'm back with the Victor Davis Hanson show. So Victor, a couple of things. I'm going to torture our um, listeners just to spec on, on on Stacey Abrams, because I think there's so much to say about her, but particularly um, this comment, uh, conversation she had on, on Morning Joe the other day, I think it's worth putting it in context. But if, you know, she, as we, we know, she claimed uh, the election for governor was stolen from her. We have seen uh, Georgia's election laws attacked as racist. We have seen them uh, open the floodgates of voting for um, the citizens of Georgia. So much uh, for the Jim Crow uh, aspersions. Major League Baseball, um, major corporations attacked Georgia. So there's a that, there's a lot there's a lot that came from Stacey Abrams' um, as, uh, attacks on on um, uh, the political processes in Georgia but now here's here's something that happened the other day and Victor after I read this if you want to talk uh, not if you want to please talk about Abrams and what she has meant symbolically in the culture and and uh, is she symbolic of the Democrat party so she was on Morning Joe talking to Mike Barnacle and and Barnacle old
2: Boston wait a minute wait a minute can I stop you yeah, yeah, sure. Mike Barnacle is back after all that plagiarism. Uh, albatross <laughs> around his neck. That plagiarism and, um,
1: happened it and, happened and in the early 90s. And I, yeah, know, I been- know
2: you're prejudiced because he's Irish Catholic New England, but he has a really checkered record about his veracity.
1: Oh, absolutely. He, okay. he lied about some incident with uh, that involved Billy Bulger.
2: Yes. The
1: president of the Massachusetts Senate, whose son, by the way, I'm, I was kind of friends with Bill, I have to admit. But his son is, was a partner of Hunter Biden. It's amazing how all these things are intertwined. And uh, Barnacle wrote a column essentially defending Bulger at the time and attacking Alan Dershowitz, saying that Alan Dershowitz said something uh, like slanty-eyed, yellow, you know, some slander of Asians, which he never said. But nevertheless, you'll find Barnacle and others who are plagiarists, or are still... Uh, if you're on the left,
2: you're a plagiarist. That's a good point. He's got to be. He's got to be 80 or something. I don't know what he is, but gosh, yeah. he's been around forever.
1: I think he was the the busboy at the Last Supper. So uh, anyway, he is. <laughs> but he had a little bit of sense this day our morning joke. He senses us this uh, uh, Democrat rhetoric about abortion, abortion, abortion is not working. Obviously, when the pe- people of America. Are, Are drowning in inflation. So he says this to Stacey Abrams. You're running for governor of Georgia, I would assume, maybe incorrectly, but while abortion is an issue, it nowhere reaches the level of interest to voters in terms of the cost of gas, food, bread, milk, and things like that. What can a governor, what could you do as governor? Remember, she's a candidate for governor, to alleviate the concerns of Georgia voters about those livability, daily, hourly issues that they're confronted with. And Abrams gave one of the most bizarre and 10-thumbed answer, political answers in recent memory. Here's what she, how she responds to Barnacle. Because she ties in, she does not want to relent on the dog bone of abortion. It's just crazy. Let's be clear. Having children is why you're worried about your price for gas. It's why you're concerned about how much food costs. For women, This is not a reductive issue. You can't divorce being forced to carry an unwanted pregnancy from the economic realities of having a child, etc. So we have here, Victor, the you know abortion (laughs) inflation uh, intersection of Democrat politics by somebody who is a you know one of the great martyrs of modern. Uh, the modern democratic party. So Victor, I'm sorry, I pardon our listeners. Uh, I know you want to hear Victor and you will, but I, I thought the context for this was worth it. So Victor, what are your thoughts about Stacey Abrams and all she means?
2: She's a complete constr- construction or an invention of wealthy bicoastal elites, mostly white elites, because if you look at her record. I mean, I think she, she gave that State of the Union response. You know, they picked her, of all people. And She'd never really won an a important executive office. She's lost to Kemp once. And then she monetized that loss by spreading the lie that although she was 50,000 votes short, it was due to, quote, unquote, voter suppression. And she toured the country denying that he was the governor and she was the governor. De she was the real governor. He was the de facto governor, and then that was the election denialist hysteria. Everybody got to remember that. Everybody should remember that. From Al Gore denialist and you know Jill Stein denialist, Hillary Clinton denialist, Stacey Abrams denial. That was the left wing thing. Barbara Boxer, thirty plus uh, House members in two thousand four and four. Claiming that, you know, that George Bush was not re-elected. That was the thing, and she was the star of that movement. And then 2016 came along and it really took up, as I said, with Jill Stein and Hillary. But after 2020, suddenly they re-manufactured that as a Republican monopoly. But it was what I'm getting at is that she was the poster girl for election denialist. And now she's sort of backtracking. And I don't know what the attraction is to her. If you're going to look, she keeps saying that vote for me and you, I will be the first black woman in Georgia. I can't think of anything else that would recommend her. Her positions are insane. They're hard left socialist. Her personal life is a mess. I think she owed what $170,000 on her personal credit card and back taxes to the IRS. Wrote a trashy romance novel and you know if you're going it, it, i contrast her with another woman from the south who was a little bit overweight if i could be kind of graphic uh barbara jordan right. who was a, who was also a democrat but right. Bar- barbara jo- jordan was brilliant and she was articulate and she I mean, I didn't agree with her a lot of issues, but boy, when she when she outlined the problem with an open border it was absolutely incisive. And Stacey Abrams has no accomplishments. Barbara Jordan had a, had a good career of legislative accomplishment in the House. So it's 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 kind of for me, she's emblematic of the decline of the black leadership. If I look at Bayard Rustin, you know, people like that in the civil rights movement. And then I look at Al Sharpton or I look at Barbara Jordan or Shirley Chisholm. And then I compare it to Stacey Abrams, who at one time apparently was a serious runner-up to Kamala Harris. And and (laughs) that's a hard choice, believe me. But she is going to lose and she's going to lose a second time. And once this election is uh, denialist stigma, Abates, she will go back to it and claim that she would have been, could have been, should have been governor. And there's none there there. She's like Kamala Harris. What has she ever done? What has she ever been elected to? At least Kamala Harris was elected to the U.S. Senate. And she got, did she get one delegate? I guess she did. I I don't, I can't remember if she got one or zero delegates when she ran for president. But Stacey Abrams is a construct of an elite liberal who feels comfortable with her because on these issues like abortion and everything, they feel that she's one of them. And her, to be more specific, her collation of abortion with inflation is right out of Adlai Huxley's Brave New World. I mean, right, right. you have the state come in and modulate uh, fertility, or it's right out of China.
1: One-child Ch- policy, right. China yeah.
2: One of the things that people forget about China was not just that the state wanted to avoid a, quote, Paul Ehrlich population bomb, which now they're going to have one, but it's going to be depopulation in 50 years. It's, it's going to go down to about 800 million. And that's not the problem. It's going to be a, a state of very few young people and a lot of old people that are going to be unproductive and need help from the young people who will have to divert their productive hours to taking care of a lot of older people. And I say that as an older person, but the thing to remember is that in China, that was sort of what they told people when Jingba, uh, Ping came over and they said, wow, we're going to have a new profile for the Chinese family. It's going to be economically viable. They're only going to have one children. They're going to save thousands of dollars. And that was that's part of the whole liberal mystique, that you your values are to a dual professional couple and you save, I, I guess, what is it now? It used to be $370,000 to raise a child to the year 18. Yeah. Now, with prolonged adolescence and kids in the basement, it's probably half a million. And then that progressive totalitarian mind is, wow, if everybody just had one child or no children, then we would be more economically viable. And they never think about the larger effect on one's soul or the the body politic or the values of society. But we've never seen anybody crude enough to what I just outlined to say it graphically in America, that getting an abortion is a good... Response to inflation, right? Well, this is the thing many people don't
1: like about abortion either. uh, When it was an unbridled right, is uh, of course you have hard cases. uh, How can you not have sympathy for a woman who's been raped or a victim of incest, whatever? But there's no stomach really, and a very large majority of Americans do not have the stomach for convenience abortions, and and uh, you know what she what she.
2: Laid out there was that there was absolutely so when you look at independent women and you look at these purported polls, they were 18 plus Democrat in late August and now they're plus 16 Republican, and it's because of inflation, 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 inflation. There's two things to remember about that. First of all, and we've said this before, Jack, and I wrote an article, uh, I think it comes out tomorrow, there was never a a blue wave that was a construct again of the pollsters to depress conservative turnout fundraising etc so they were never down that much but they were down probably with independent women but when you when they decided they being the left to say abortion 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 rather than under this rejection of the Dobbs ruling, the rejection of Roe versus Wade. Now the people decide, so in our blue state, we're going to have abortion with some limitation. They didn't do that. They started talking insanity. They said, you know what? We want a national abortion law. We want to replace the Supreme Court's Neanderthalism with a law that says you can have an abortion all the way to the last moment. And the key to the abortion debate, everybody knew it, was on the right, you didn't want a lot of right-wing people saying, nah, I don't care if the woman's raped or beaten or her dad had sex with her, she's going to have that baby. That You just didn't talk about that, right? You didn't make that argument right. explicit. Even if you believe that the sanctity of life, you just kept quiet about it, or you were willing to compromise on that issue for the greater good of outlawing the vast majority of you know, abortions which are 90 you know 98% of them are not due to incest and rape but on the left by the same token there was one area you didn't get into and that was late late term abortions were the bit, I believe the fetus doesn't exist I believe it's a child from conception and I think one day science will show that to be true but if you believe that abortion takes a child when the child is no longer can be viable outside the womb even with mechanical or medical assistance you still then you're getting into really uh unpopular territory and so when the when the left in the last 30 days thought abortion was the issue they unleashed the furies jack they just started talking crazy stuff that when they were asked on television, do you believe on abortion till the, the day of the last possible moment before birth? They either looked like a deer in the headlights or tried to divert the topic or said yes. And that really soured them. So it was a it was a double whammy. People, if you're a okay. suburban woman and you're going to the grocery store and you're telling your husband or you're telling your children or you're telling yourself. And I'm not being sexist, but it seems like women have more economic sense about the household budget, and they know they know stuff that men don't, uh, the minutiae of income and, and expense. Right. So they are very sensitive to inflation. And if you tell them that that's not the most important issue that abortion, especially for women who are 45 with three children and are not going to have, you know, and don't believe their children should have abortions. So it, right. it it it's it wasn't a great issue to begin with to demagogue. It had a slight plural, plurality if it was phrased and situated right. It was never situated right in the and the polit the political dynamic by the left. And so it was a sin of commission and omission by not talking about inflation. But in their Defense. How can you talk about inflation if you're running as a Democrat? You can't. What what is the what is this
1: uh, possible strategy? Hey, Victor, can we? I, I would like to maybe we, we can uh, um, get to your the column that that is coming out. But bef- before we get to that, and we're going to have to take a break too. Uh, just one quickie about back on Georgia and Stacy Abrams. And yesterday morning, I was. Driving and, and boasts nerdly, uh, Rush Limbaugh's uh old producer, he has a radio show, uh, in on WABC in New York City. And I was listening to it, he's pretty good.
2: I must, have, I hadn't listened to I've met him, I've met him, and I like him a great deal.
1: Yeah, he's uh, I've met him tw- a couple times, yeah. But but his show's really he he's he's got a he's got a way <clears throat> anyway. He was talking about es- essentially where does Georgia go, you know, to, to get its reputation back, uh especially harping on Major League Baseball, they pulled the all-star game uh, the, the, the deep and, and wide criticisms of, of Georgia being racist over this particularly the election reform law, which we have seen not only I know we have an election coming up, but the mid but the primaries that Georgia had earlier this year um, showed uh, immense growth in, in uh, voters because of this, allegedly jim crow um law and, and now i i do want to say that i noticed on national review today mel uh that um nate hockman was great young writer has a piece same thing where did, where did georgia republicans go to get their apology so victor uh anything on that particularly would you think is major league baseball ever gonna apologize Is delta airlines no coke ever gonna say oh we screwed up georgia sorry
2: no, they're not until one thing happens. If the Republicans take the House, and I think when they're gonna they're gonna win forty plus seats, and because they're only eight down, they're gonna have a huge, almost historic margin after the midterms. And two, I don't think it's gonna be fifty-one, forty-nine. I think it's gonna be fifty-three, fifty-four, as I said with Sammy. So they're going to stop the Biden agenda. And if they win the presidency in two years, and if they're not rhinoized, the Republicans, and if they set the tone, they have no tolerance for certain things. I think you'll see a lot of these uh, companies get very, very worried, especially if they start looking at things they should have looked at years ago. And that is antitrust laws for... Google, Apple, Facebook ganging up on Parler or ganging up on Truth Social or ganging up on competitors and trying to rig 90, you know, 90% of the Google searches, which we talked about are run by are you know, there are 90% of internet searches are run by Google and they have certain practices that discourage, uh, findings or results that are conservative and of course google mail we know that what goes into your clutter box often is de- depending on the political content and so if you address that stuff and you tell them we want you to be non-partisan same goes with government bureaus like they have then they'll make the necessary adjustment but until they feel there's pressure no they're not going to do anything as far as georgia i mean it's it's it's, it's i know that a lot of people came from the north, big cities that were dysfunctional, Chicago, Baltimore, Detroit, and re-migrated back to Georgia. A lot larger African-American population, a lot larger liberal population. Uh, Illegal immigration added to that as a force multiplier. But Georgia is not a blue state. It's a reddish purple state. And so when you look back at that Warnick ossoff election, it was entirely preventable. Purdue had won in the earlier runoff. All he had to do, he almost got 51%. He would have been senator. It was a combination of media hysteria and anger over January's, uh, that, you know, the uh, election, I should say, not January 6th, the denialist uh, charge against Trump. And number two, Donald Trump basically ignored those two senate races and to the extent that he didn't ignore it he did something very badly he he sent messages out that his base could not trust the electoral process and there was no reason to go out and vote because it would be rigged and so his base did not turn out the numbers that otherwise could have in georgia and then he offended the suburban women by you know being ungracious in their view. And between those two, they put in two socialists that would never have been elected. And so Georgia has the unenviable reputation, Georgia, Georgia, not Massachusetts, not Washington State, you know, not Maryland, Georgia, not California, Georgia, of the two most left-wing senators right now in the U.S. Senate. Yeah
1: crazy i think 400,000 uh, uh,
2: conservatives
1: who voted in november of 2020 did not vote absolutely in the, uh, in the, the uh, special elections hey victor um, let's talk if you don't mind could you give us a little heads up on the uh, the column that's going to be appearing in american greatness and and could you do that right after this important message <laughs> We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson show. I'm Jack Fowler. VictorHanson.com is a place you should be checking out regularly. I think I added a syllable there, and uh, and you should be subscribing to it too. Why? Because Victor writes a lot of original and exclusive content for VictorHanson.com. It's they're called ultra articles. Um, it's five dollars to subscribe uh, for a month or fifty dollars for the year check it out. If you've never been to the site, go there anyway. You know, there's a lot, a lot of other links and you'll find a, a link at the top of the homepage t- uh, to the, to the right uh, for downloading the app from the, the Google store for um, the uh, uh, Blade of Perseus. That's the name of, of the, of the website. So you'll get, get the, get the Victor Hansen quote unquote Blade of Perseus app. And the link is there. I'm Jack Fowler and I write Sybil. Thoughts, A free weekly email newsletter that shares a dozen to 14 recommended readings, links, and some excerpts of, of really worthwhile things I've come across in the previous week. It's free. There's, we're not building lists. We're not uh, selling your name. So check it out. You can sign up at uh, civilthoughts.com. And it's pub- I, I write that for the Center for Civil Society at American Philanthropic. Um, and and by the way, th- those who have done that, uh, I appreciate it. And some of you have sent very kind notes, and I do appreciate that too. So, uh, uh, Victor, your new column is uh, that's coming out. You gave me a little uh, heads up on it. It's called uh, <clears throat> "Democracy Dies in Darkness," which you're poking the Washington. Post yeah, the actual about. title
2: I, I think was "Will Democracy Die in Darkness After November?" Mm-hmm. I.e., that's right. what they're that's what they're going to say when they right. get wiped out.
1: Right. Well, how are they going to act? Because you have a line in here that the left will become livid and terrified when they lose Congress. I'm seeing signs of the lividness. Yeah, they they know they're
2: going to lose. And remember what the narrative is, everybody. The narrative is that people were so outraged about the repeal of Roe versus Wade, right? And they're so outraged by what turned up in the January 6th findings. And they're so outraged that Trump had nuclear secrets at Mar-a-Lago, that unlike historical precedent, i.e. a first-term president loses 28 seats on average in the House and four in the Senate, that's not going to happen because there's a blue wave. It took over. It's just not going to happen. In fact, Nate Silver said there's almost 70% chance they're going to keep the Senate, Nancy Pelosi was cocky. They're they're not going to even lose the house. That was never true. History says when the president is at 40% and it's his first midterm election and the issues are not good, he's going to lose more than 27. So that was the first thing to remember. The second thing to remember is that why did they say this? Why did they say there was an abrupt change and the red wave had dissipated? by September. They did it for what they always do. They get these left-wing polls. And Trafalgar never did that. And Insider Advantage never did that. And Rasmussen never did that, to take three examples. But all the rest did. And the reason they do that is they want to suppress Republican turnout. They want to replace conservative PAC donations. And they wanted to peddle this anti-Trump phobia that... There were all these mega candidates. Even Mitch McConnell pulled out of Arizona. Blake Maskers was a horrible candidate. Harry Lake was even worse. J.D. Vance didn't know what he was doing. And Herschel Walker is an illiterate. He doesn't have a chance. And this was what the Republicans do. They go hard right. When the truth was, the truth, these people all had common sense proposal. And they reflected what americans were worried about which were five issues a inflation b gas c crime d the border and i would make an amor- amorphous issue of cultural decline critical race theory trans- all of the stuff they see smash and grab all of that stuff and they talked about it and so the, the that was a complete myth that these candidates were not good. Blake Masters is a good candidate. So is J.D. Vance. So they're going to win. And it's going to be, a, I think, a near historic 2010-1994 uh, margin. But remember, as I said with Sammy, they're only down eight, eight seats in the House. And they're dead even in the Senate. So if they take 40, that's going to be 40 less Democrats and 40 more Republicans. And that's going to be a force-multiplying effect. So yeah. then the question, you know, is uh, what are they going to say? Well, you know what they're going to say. What's the matter with Kansas? They're not voting with their to their true interests because they're idiots, or it was voter suppression, or it was racism, or it was a right-wing media because they will not change because they're ideologues. They're not going to say they're going to not do two things, Jack. They're not going to say first of all, as we come closer to the election. Let's give the Biden record a chance. It was a good record. So we're happy. The border is open. Borders are ossified, calcified, 19th century remnants, relics. And now we have 3 million new Americans. It's what we wanted. And you know what? Stephen Chu told all of you 10 years ago plus that uh, you know, 12 years ago plus, that we want to get gas up to European levels. And Barack Obama said he was going to eliminate coal and electricity prices should and would skyrocket. Okay, that's what we wanted. So we canceled Anwar. We canceled Keystone. We didn't bring back the Constitution pipeline to New England, which would have been very handy, by the way. We jawbone lenders on fracking and horizontal drilling we have fewer gas and oil leases than any presence in history so the projected increase you know of 11 or 12 billion up to 14 didn't happen and we got that 11 down or that 12 million down to almost 10. and so that was a four million barrel so that was great and that's why it's good to have you know, and inflation, all it means is the guys with the big stash in the bank have less value to their money and the guys that doesn't have any money gets more access to it. Now, I could go on, but they're not going to do that. They're not going to support what they did. You listen to every candidate and he won't talk about any of those issues. It's January 6th or he's a Trump supporter. That's all or that he's wants to kill women by denying them abortion. And the other thing they're not going to do is change, even though they won't talk about these issues. Not one candidate, not Kelly in Arizona, no, no, not warning, not anybody said, okay, there's too many people coming across illegally, so we're going to build a little bit of the wall and stop catch and release. Or we agree this crime thing is out of control, so we're going to go after the smash and grabbers and the car hijackers and get federal attorneys to override these people on racketeering or interstate commerce, whatever. They're not going to do that. And they're not going to say, Maybe a little physical discipline is right. Larry Summers was correct. He's one of us. He warned us about the effect of printing money and federal deficits on inflation. And we went a little bit overboard, but we're not going to do that. They're not going to do that. And so the voter says, wait a minute. If they're not going to explain uh, that they're happy of what they did, and that must mean that they know they did bad things, but C, they're not going to change those bad things, then I don't have a choice. It's either I, if I go to the polls and I vote for these people, I'm voting for eight plus nine, eight to 9% inflation. I'm voting for $5 gas. I'm voting for Walgreens leaving the inner city because of smash and grab. I'm voting for... Anybody walks across the border at the time of a pandemic without a vaccination or a test, that's fine. And I don't think people are going to do it. So my column was saying that they uh, they're just not going to change, and they don't they don't have much of a chance. And then finally, right. I ended with this fear: they are afraid. You mentioned it; they are terrified. And you know why they're terrified? Why? Because they think like this. They think if I were in the Republican position, if I was a Democrat right now, and given what we did to them during these last two years, if I was a Republican and the Democrats had done to us as Republicans, here's what I would do. I'd get back <laughs> and they know it. what because they're so terrified because they would do right. it if, they would do it. So what they're saying is that they're thinking the Republicans are going to do the following. They're going to say, okay, we don't like impeaching a first-term president. The Federalist Papers, the Constitution sort of discourages that. But you know what? You did it. And you did it over a stupid phone call when Trump delayed offensive weapons that Obama never gave Ukraine. And it was all cooked up by Adam Schiff and this quote-unquote anonymous whistleblower, and Mr. Venman, the Ukrainian-American person who was offered supposedly Secretary of Defense of Ukraine. I wish he had have taken it. And the point is, the pretext was Donald Trump endangered national security for his own political uh, agenda or career or, or survivor bill or whatever. So now, Joe Biden, has emptied, not emptied, he's taken it from 90 down to 40%, the Strategic Petroleum Reserve for one purpose, not because of an earthquake, a tsunami, not because of global war, not because of an Arab embargo, but because he wants to be reelected. So he offended our one of our chief allies, and the Middle East for his own narrow political purposes. And if you don't like that impeachment count, we'll do it that he deliberately destroyed the corpus of immigration law and they could impeach him. And that's what the Democrats would do. And they're afraid they might do it. And right. then second, they look at all these other things they've done. They think, mm-hmm. Hmm, now if I was Kevin McCarthy, I would go full blast against us. And I'm afraid he'll do that because I would do that. And what would full blast be? That would be, you know what, Nancy, if you're still minority leader, don't even send me any Democratic nominees for committee because i'm just going to pick whoever i want and there's yeah. not going to be one damn squad member on any committee I'm any sorry. committee right, right any committee and you know what we're going to have we open the january 6th committee and there's not going to be any of your people on it i'm going to find some pro republican <laughs> democrats yeah. i'll find them i'll work i'll work hard but i'll find two of them at least Right. And bring them, uh, bring them
1: in from the outside yeah. new rules. Why not? Yes. They
2: would yes they had and, and I'm going to have two criteria that they're going to vote for impeaching Joe Biden and they have no political future. And I'm going to put those SOBs on this committee. And this committee is going to look at how many FBI informants were there. It's going to want to reexamine why there was this lie about Officer Sicknick. And the, the lies that surrounded the initial shooting, the initial coverage of Ashley Babbitt, why the officer's name was hidden and suppressed. I want to know what, all the communications between House Democratic leaders and the Capitol Police. I want to know why there wasn't enough security there. And I want to know why any so hundreds of people who were accused sat in solitary confinement without charges being filed, whether they were intimidated and bullied by guards. I want to know all that, but that's only half because the committee is not going to be called the January six committee. It's going to be called the insurrection committee. And we're going to look at may to September, 2020, 120 days of rioting, killing, arson, looting, $2 billion in damage, 1500 police officers, 40 dead. We're going to look at this and we're going to see, you know, what we're going to see if it was coordinated by Antifa and black, Lives Matter on what? Facebook and Twitter. The -hmm. use of social media to promote insurrection. So that's what we're going to do. And you know what? We don't, we believe in the filibuster, but because you guys promised that as soon as you had 51, you were going to end it, and Joe Biden and Barack Obama agree that it's a racist rally, well, we shrug and we think, you know what? They might be right. (laughs) So reluctantly, we're going to have to get rid of the filibuster and just pass every law we want on a 51 because we're going to get 54 votes. And you know what? We don't want to do it, but you know what? We might have to impeach Joe Biden twice in his fifth term. And we don't want to bother him when he's in Delaware, but in his retirement, we might just have to bring him, you know, back in and face a Senate trial. And we don't believe that you should jail people, who have been subpoenaed that don't show up for our new insurrectionist committee investigation. But Eric Holder reminded us that when he defied a congressional subpoena, and then you guys applied an unequal standard without remembering that precedent and went after Bannon, we're going to have to subpoena a lot of people. And they're going to be... All over the political spectrum and what they said, what they did. We want to hear why Kamala Harris encouraged the riots. And the protests, we're going to we are going to subpoena, of course, Joe Biden on other matters because we're going to have a lot of investigations. It's going to be Hunter Biden's laptop, but the whole Biden syndicate, it's going to be the federal health authorities, Fauci, Collins. What do they know and not know about the Wuhan lab? What's their relation with Big Pharma? We're going to have all of these and we're going to subpoena hundreds of people. And the first SOB who says that he's not going to honor that subpoena, we're going to have the DOJ charge him. Uh, and convict him, and put him in jail, just like you did Bannon, or trying to do. Right. So there's a lot of stuff. And you know what we're going to do, Jack? What? We're going to also say that we're worried about Joe Biden's health. So mm-hmm. we're going to call Bandy Yee back in, Bandy Lee, or whatever her name was, the Yale psychiatrist. The Yale I think psych, she, right. She yeah. was fired, I think, for this, but she's going to telediagnose Joe Biden without ever meeting him and she's going to tell us that he needs straight jacket intervention. Maybe we'll get Rod Rosenstein's back and see if he and McCabe can come back out of retirement, wear wires, see if they can get the cabinet. We don't know what, but we'll bring them all before Congress to see if Joe Biden is not is compost mentis. Yeah. And then we'll look at the 25th amendment and uh you know if we really get carried away, we might want to impeach Mayorkas and Merrick Garland as well. And that's why they're scared. And I think when they lose big time, and I think the article, as I remember, because I wrote it yesterday, uh, says the following, that they're afraid that this is exactly what they would do. And they're hoping that the Republicans could be intimidated into playing by the Marcus of Queensbury rules, the Romney, Evan McMullen type of Republican. Right. But when they lose, you're going to start seeing a lot of leaks coming out of the DOJ, FBI, the White House, the DNC, and the media is going to gobble them up. And they're going to be two types of leak. We're kind of worried, sort of, kind of, maybe, perhaps, probably, in theory, about the Biden crime exposure. Mm
1: -hmm. And two,
2: there's been rumors that Joe goes into the wrong room when he's in The West Wing, that he doesn't recognize anybody, we're really worried about this. And then because they won't change and they're hard left, the narrative is going to be it wasn't our hard left neo-socialist message. It was our doddering, fumbling messenger, Joe Biden. He will be the scapegoat, even though he did heroic service by being the empty vessel that carried their neo-socialist message across the finishing line and with a veneer that Be- uh, bernie sanders or elizabeth warren could not offer but good old Joe F- biden preached unity and centrism and got this neo-communist i should say <laughs> crazy redistributionist uh cargo across the finish line but they have no gratitude right. for that they're going to blame it all on joe biden you watch
1: did you see the uh by the way victor of course as you Point out, and we'll we'll skip over Bannon since you mentioned him. But incarceration is their objective for their enemies. It's not our objective, but if that's the playing field, it is so now. It, it maybe it should be at least some test cases. Anyway, about you just mentioned leaks, and this is not a. Uh, it's a great cultural point to me. It's not a national security point, but did you see that the FBI agents who knelt. During the at the Black Lives Matter um, protests or whatever protests were happening in 2020, that they got like hundred dollar bonuses. Yes, from the, I from saw the, that. I mean, what the?
2: This is insane. That was during I, the June uh, attack in Washington, 2020, when they were when the protesters were running wild. Remember that they were occupying ground they wouldn't give up. Yeah. And so I know a lot of listeners are going to say this and they, they have absolute uh, reason to. Hey, Victor, every time you criticize the FBI, you use this word hierarchy or Washington centric or the, the FBI elite as if the problem was only Comey or McCabe or Mueller. Uh, it's not. It's an institutional problem. Those people did not create a culture and force it down they reflected in the culture they were if they didn't if you didn't think if you thought mueller was out of hand you could get another one that wouldn't be out of hand then you got comey and if you did, thought comey was out of hand in an aberration then you got mccabe and on and on so what i'm getting at is it was the culture Right. grassroots culture that is inculcated, it's institutionalized. It says, I'm going to be a good little FBI agent. Whatever the doctrine is of the moment, I'm going to performance art and virtue signal uh, because of the perceived left-wing drift of the country. And that therefore, I'll get a little merit badge from the FBI mm-hmm. uh, uh, agent association, and that will help my promotion. Because that's what I'm trying to to be, and if I have to really embarrass somebody, like Peter Navarro or John Eastman or James O'Keefe, I will really kind of put a little flourish on it, maybe some spice and dessert to make it really look bad. An extra little black limo shows up, more uh, body armor, a couple of extra AR-15s, whatever it takes, so that I can really show everybody that I'm I don't like these quote unquote quote, white racist, proud boy types, chew on Mm -hmm. and all that. That's what they, and so it's a culture. That's why I think it really, I think most people are right that are critical of the FBI, given serial sexual harassment that was, I mean, if you think about it, Jack, very quickly, what are they not capable of? Ask everybody that. What are they not capable? Are they not capable of doctoring uh, an affidavit, forging it? Yes, they're capable of that. Are they not capable of taking a dossier that they have just known was false, known to the degree they're willing to pay a complete fraudster from Britain $1 million if he can just prove one fact and he cannot, and yet they took that fake thing they knew was fake to deceive a FISA judge so they could destroy a U.S. citizen like Carter Page? Are they capable of trying to destroy the National Security Advisor-designate Michael Flynn by trying to have an ambush, perjury ambush, to invoke this ossified Logan Act that nobody in the history, this three-century history of this act, has ever been prosecuted successfully? Are they willing to wipe away subpoenaed cell phone data like they did? Or are they willing to deliberately, when they uh, testify under oath, that they can't remember 245 times? Right. Robert Mueller can't remember the dossier or the G- fusion GPS. Or Christopher Ray will say he has to go to the and Don docks and has to get out of town quickly on a private FBI jet. That he uses basically for, are they, maybe they're capable of lying four times to a federal investigator, like Andrew McCabe did. Or maybe they can say, you know what, we are disinterested investigators that are looking at this charge of Russian collusion. But I talked to Andrew, and don't worry, we can stop this, stop Trump. So that was a Peter Strzok-Lovebird exchange with Lisa Right. So they're capable of anything. And well, not
1: not not investigating and infiltrating Antifa. They don't seem to be capable of that.
2: Oh, they're yeah, they're not. If you go to the FBI and you say I'm Russian intelligence and the Sarno brothers are bad people from a bad family and they're going to do some bad things in Boston, well, I don't care. If you somebody comes to them and say these San Bernardino Islamicists are terrorists, be watch them. You know they their sins again are commission and omission. So yeah, I I think this was just—it was so depressing because it just shows you what that culture, what it inculcates, and how do you address it? That's the only question. Do you break it up, and as I said before, take the ten or twelve divisions and farm them out to other cabinet sees, or do you just say, you know what, they're too incestuous? They they marry into the Washington media and bureaucratic culture. They marry each send the whole headquarters to Kansas City or Dallas or Fargo, North. Just get it out of there. Yeah. And or I don't know. So Victor, the poster boy for you know,
1: bad bureaucracy was always the Department of Motor Vehicles The you know, the great standing <laughs> yeah. joke. Yeah. Yeah. But there, but but and no one would have thought or said 50 years ago compared the fbi as an agency which is a bureaucracy to to that kind of bureaucracy but at least with the dmv it can be so much of it can be privatized and technology has you know taken the edge off but i i don't know how you uh, you uh, cure the problem of an investigative
2: uh, agency without... i i don't know it seems to me from all these revelations that the chief Worry, concern, uh, investment in labor and capital in the FBI from 2015 at least to 2018 was trying to destroy the Donald Trump candidacy, the Donald Trump transition, and the Donald Trump presidency. That's pretty clear to me. And that was what they were concerned with. They were not concerned with voter fraud. They were not concerned with conspiracy to burn down a federal courthouse. They were not concerned with conspiracy to storm the White House grounds after burning the Saint Episcopal Church. They were not—I mean, the Episcopal Saint John's Church in Lafayette Square. They were not concerned with any of that. And they're not—they don't care about pre- police precincts burned down. They don't care about. Right coordination for 120 days to undermine the security of the united states and i don't know they're not i don't think they're even concerned about chinese espionage it's everywhere and they don't seem to have a very good record there either so i i don't know what they're doing uh to protect us and the same thing is true by the way of the cia and the defense intelligence agency when you have their leaders like Brennan lying two times under oath to Congress, or James Clapper lying under oath and then claiming he only gave the least untruthful answer, and there were no, no, no ramifications or consequences, then what does that send the message? It sends a message to everybody in those organizations. (laughs) Chuck Schumer was right. We can really get back at you if you attack at us. So we just do what the blank we want. Right. They need a church committee. You know, I went back and looked when I wrote The Dying Citizen. I'd always right. heard conservatives damn the church committee, you know. Frank And Frank Church, yeah. the senator from uh, Idaho, Idaho. Yeah, Democrat, he, died, he died kind of young from lymphoma. He wasn't a bad guy. He was very left-wing, but personally, he had a lot of integrity. And so when he ran that commission, I went back and looked at the transcripts. There was a lot of crazy bad stuff that was going on in the CIA, believe me. I know me, I know everybody said he damaged it and everything, but it, the stuff that was going on was beyond the pale. And same is true of the FBI. And this is very, we conservatives don't like to say that because, and by the way, this is relevant, Jack, when Mike Pence attacked conservatives for criticizing the FBI, and he says, we we don't defund the police, we don't attack, He he really deliberately tried to confuse those two issues for political, I think, advantage. I think he's he's trying to carve out a persona that he's a staunch conservative, but he's not a Trumpian. I get that. I have no problem. I I agreed with him. He should have resisted the efforts to nullify the election. But if he thinks what we're just talking about is somehow analogous to defunding the police, then he's delusional. It's not. It's trying to restore constitutional freedom and liberty to people who have it abused by a weaponized federal agency that, in many cases, is redundant of local law enforcement. Yeah. Well, if if he thinks he
1: could be president of the United States someday, I think I think he's delusional on that count. Also, hey Victor, we we have a little time um, left, and and I had mentioned we we wanted to talk talk about anthony fauci and uh, chairman <laughs> g and i think we'll hold g off because we're going to record another podcast so let's um let's talk about uh anthony fauci and his claims uh to have had no influence on some of the disastrous lockdown consequences and practices uh that we americans suffered through uh, and have in, in some places continue to suffer through and we'll do that right after uh this important message
0: Figure Lending LLC DBA Figure Equal Opportunity Lender NMLS 1717824 Terms and conditions apply
1: visit figure.com for more information For licensing information go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson show just the news. dot com. that's the mothership uh, John Solomon's website that's that's the happy home to this uh, broadcast I a great pleasure doing this twice a week with Victor. The great, great Sammy Wink also does it twice with Victor. So four, and sometimes five podcasts a week, folks. So um, anyway, today uh, I'd like to let's end this by talking about uh, Anthony Fauci, uh, Stephen Mosier, the uh, the, uh, the uh, great uh, China uh, critic, uh, but he's he writes about other things. He has a piece in today's Sunday New York Post going after uh, Fauci's uh, uh, denials made um this past week i think on abc uh um, he's he's a deny machine i never said that so this has to do with d- denying that he promoted school closing he did not look at the videotape i didn't i never said it well if I, mosher puts up a couple of examples in in march 12 20 tw- march 12th 2020 uh, th- th- this is hardly um i, I don't even think the I think I was still going into New York City on that, on, on days around uh, right, right around that. He called for, quote, mitigation. And when you close the schools, it's mitigation. Uh, in April 2020, um, one month later, he's attacking DeSantis in the Florida governor because he wanted to keep the schools open. And this is what Fauci said. When you, quote, allow children together, they will likely get infected. Just two of the oomph de examples of him he whatever proper english is um uh arguing for and being remember he's a great influence at that time oh the mighty oh, he he was had spoken right oh, he was. so he's, how do you uh how do you how does he try to get his fingerprints off of this?
2: i don't know his biggest sin was that with the original strain especially and to a lesser extent delta there was almost ironclad evidence that youngsters from one to 18 either did not get it at all, or they were completely asymptomatic. And he shut down the schools knowing that. And then it got worse after December of 2020, as we went into June of 2021, when evidence started to come back that the messenger RNA vaccinations had a high degree in young males of high degree, not, I mean, rare, but higher than most vaccines is what I'm trying to say of myocarditis. And that, that risk was greater than the risk of serious complications or uh, results from a COVID strain. So at that point, I mean, there should have been a lot of information out there and he didn't, he suppressed that or he denied it. And he was one of the chief catalysts for shutting down the economy and the schools. And it's on tape, right that was and then he developed this weaponized, politicized persona where he went right over. he had, he gave this simulation that he was nonpartisan for a while. But uh, once he understood, there were people in the conservative movement that wanted to know about the origins of Covid. A, the relationship between the origins of COVID and the Wuhan lab, and C, the relations of the Wuhan lab and gain-of-function research, and D, gain-of-function research via Peter Dosick's ECHO Health via the National Institute of Allergies and Infectious Diseases, i.e. Anthony Fauci. Once that became an issue, he just... Dropped all pretense of nonpartisanship, and he just went over to MSNBC and CNN, and he became a hyper-partisan right during the campaign. Uh, He had become earlier during the campaign, excuse me, and then he became a, a mouthpiece for the Bidenism. And remember when Joe Biden was saying, by 4th of July, it'll be over. And he was I even remember in his m- moments of dementia, he was saying there had been no vaccination until he became president, even though nineteen million people had been vaccinated. But we got to remember that in January, February, late January, February, March, there was a the giddiness that this four-month-old vaccination routine gave you "quote unquote" ninety-six percent immunity, and then we forget this. But if you go back and look, the it, it, there wasn't this idea. That You have to be vaccinated or we're going to go after you. It was this arrogance that go get vaccinated. You're the superior thinking citizen. You've got 96% proof. These have been widely tested. They weren't. I think in the Pfizer case, it was mostly animal testing, rats Mice and they've been widely tested. They're absolutely safe. And if somebody less intelligent than you chooses to go down the vax denial, doesn't matter. If they get COVID, they can't. You've got a shield around you now. That was the assumption. That's why Joe Biden bragged and bragged and bragged and bragged. And you know what was the effect of that? It was very pernicious because it gave people false hopes that they could be completely. Protected, and then late summer, the Delta came along, and we had these penetrations through our "quote unquote" shield. And then we had these antibody essays that the antibodies started to go down quite rapidly. And then there was some dissident studies that showed you a prior case of COVID had as good or better natural immunity than did the vaccinations. And then by I guess you'd say October, September of 2021, people were getting Delta. I got Delta. I had two Moderna shots. I got it in October of 2021. Everybody I knew did. Not everybody, but a lot of people did. And suddenly it was, well, you got it because he wasn't vaccinated. And she didn't get a vaccination. And they're spreaders, super spreaders. And they're denialists. And it was just just an about face. And suddenly... We started to demonize. And if you didn't, you're in the military and you don't get vaxxed. And then it was, you need a, well, you needed a booster. We never said that two would do. You need a booster. Right. Well, the booster was, it wasn't any different. It was the same vaccination. And the very fact he needed a booster suggested or proved that his original, wildly and accurately optimistic that that you're either going to get lifetime immunity or a year a month, yearly a month, I don't know. But all of a sudden it was take another one. And then when people started getting it with a third booster, it was take another one, four. I know a lot of people who work for me who had two boosters and the original mRNA vaccinations for it all together and got serious cases of COVID, like multi-week cases. And so... After that, and then the final thing I'll say is, and what was all of this at the expense of? Mm. It was all at the expense of the alternate point of view that, and this was Jay Bacharya. This was Scott Atlas. This is, is right. John. This was Martin Kulandoff. This was all of these really independent thinking people that said, wait, wait, wait. You don't know what you're doing. You're isolating people. You're putting them away from social And human contact. And whether it's drug abuse or alcohol abuse or familial abuse or spousal abuse or psychotic episodes, you're going to spike that. And number two, these children are at a crucial level of development in in K through eight. And you put masks on them or you keep them out of school, they're never going to catch up and they're going to have social problems. And then you add to that disaster the idea that, Men need prostate exams. Women need breast exams. People get skin cancer. And we have a very sophisticated, scientifically-based medical system that's based on preventive, prophylactic health. And you're destroyed it because people will not go out of their cubicles. And we're going to pay an enormous price. So when we look at death from all causes, it's going to spike up. They warned him, and he just dug in, and he attacked them personally. I've you know you read you read Scott Atlas's uh, by uh, personal story of working in the White House. It's Burke's actually comes off much worse than Fauci does, right. but it, it was all politicized. And now, what every all the people he demonized have been proven true. And what's his attitude? Not me. Well, I'm-
1: if I if I may add, Victor, it's also these these depressing school, uh, analyses that have come out about how school. our kids, the education, they have suffered immensely. And boy, oh boy, that is motivating him to, to, uh, you know, uh, I think it's system.
2: been the most devastating thing that we can't even calibrate Jack. I think that had everybody been out, the George Floyd thing wouldn't have happened. I think it created an entire, uh, mental condition of people being cooped up and quarantined. I agree. And and they just went nuts after that. And then I think people were so prone to hysterias and rumors and gossip when they were in their claustrophobic, as I said, cells, and they were getting their information fed to them to the computer. I, I keep mentioning that anecdote. I went into the bank, and when this teller said to me, I'm so glad that people don't have masks. I never knew who was the potential bank robber and who mm-hmm. was, because you didn't. And It you was a crime.
1: The... If you went to a bank five years ago with a mask, you would have been arrested outright. Yeah. But just, I mean, just
2: for wearing one. Yeah. You, you saw two years of YouTube photos or local 11 o'clock night photos of these criminals going into a 7 Eleven. Right. Or, and they had masks on, and nobody thought. I mean, just think about it. Three years earlier, the guy walks in the door, he's got a mask, you pull your gun out from the counter. Exactly. But now that's normal. And so it did so many bad things and... And that was what the, that's what Scott Atlas was trying to get
1: at. Let's consider what the ramifications of these actions we want to take will be across society. I, and I to know think it. that Anthony Fauci and others would say would try to suppress finding the real and, consequences. And
2: then and, and they'll lie about it. And to yeah. lie and say that all these people who oppose me, they think COVID is nothing. We've had a million people die according to our stats. Nobody said that. Everybody said it's a cost-to-benefit, lose-lose situation between once we got ourselves in with this engineered virus, we didn't have a lot of choices. But you took the worst choice, and there were other choices. They weren't good because this is a, a terrible thing to have to deal with. And then the second thing is you didn't – when you put all of the government resources, attention, labor, capital into the vaccinations, you did not encourage protocols. So we never had. Anybody coming at those press conferences and saying, look, we don't have a lot of information, but these vitamin D and zinc and this will help you somewhat. And we don't know about these things, but these are, these are pharmaceuticals or supplements that will not hurt you. But there is some, and we don't recommend them, but we're putting them. They didn't do any of that. All they did was demonize everybody. And we had no therapeutics. They never said we're trying to work on a so even the monoclonal antibodies or the that seemed to work, they did they were not emphasized to very late in the game. And so it was all about vaccination, vaccination, not therapies. And that really hurt us. And then when you add in Big Pharma, Echo Health, Fauci Salary, uh Wards. Um, board memberships. And the reason that he doesn't look good, he doesn't look good if you see him on television, is he's got a rendezvous with Ron Paul as a majority Senate, the chairman of a majority, probably the House, something. And I don't know what it'll be Health and Human right. Services Committee or something, or a special select committee. And we know what's going to happen because once they set this bar that you have to go to Congress or you're going to go to jail. And he can't just say, I'm not going to testify if he's subpoenaed. And the Republicans are not going to screw around with him. And you're going to have people like Ron Johnson and Rand Paul and Blake Masters and J.D. Vance on committees. And Mm -hmm. he's got a rendezvous with these people. And they're going to ask him about his personal finances. They're going to ask him about his political statements. They're going to quote him. When he says... That he didn't advocate for closing the schools or the economy. They're going to quote him chapter and verse. And Laura Ingram's already done it. I mean, she's done it already. She had him on very early. And then I think to her credit of all the media celebrities or anchor people, she was the first one to really challenge him openly on television. She did. He just got in a huff and didn't come back on. Yeah, don't you know who I am? I'm Anthony Fauci, another God's gift to the world. Another person who did very early, very early was Rush Limbaugh. People don't forget that he just is—he was instinctually Mm -hmm. distrustful of the violation of civil liberties. And I can tell you that very early on, he was promoting the dissident view of Scott Atlas. Rush Limbaugh did as much as anybody to bring Scott Atlas's alternative hypotheses and recommendations to the public forum.
1: Yeah, one of the great crimes that uh, we look back—well, we don't need to look back; we're living in it. But uh, to to think that that not not about Scott, but anyone who did what he was trying to do. That it would have been suppressed is. I
2: I uh, used. Criminal, I'm criminal. I'm a very close friend of Scott and a colleague at the Hoover Institution. I don't think people know what it was like for Scott Atlas. Uh, I'll just take some arbitrary dates in August, July, August, September of 2020 to walk across the Stanford campus, or to go into the Hoover Institution the number, the amount of unfounded, uncalled for abuse, right. the, the daily attacks of him in Stanford Connected Communications, uh, the Stanford Daily, uh, the med school went on record, the petitions, right. the Stanford Faculty Senate, the systematic serial uncalled for, uncalled for unscientific abuse of him. Right. And uh, any other person would have melted. I think people really have to realize that the academic community of stanford university and in its entirety tried to destroy him professionally and personally right and And impoverish him yeah and they were people have to remember that this was an ultra ultra progressive
1: community,
2: community and for some reason or another it produced four of the most prestigious independent and self-critical minds on immunology and public health. And Michael LeVette, the Nobel Prize winner, and John Yiannidis and Jay Bacharya and Scott Atlas, they all came from Stanford. And rather than seeing that as a source of pride, we have the most eminent immunologists, public health experts in the world, right here at this campus. They saw that as shameful, and they tried to go after all of them. And I'll well, never, I'll never forgive them for that. What they did because uh, I, I can't talk about it without getting angry because I lived well, through, I lived right. through it. And well, I you were, yeah, man.
1: you, you were, you were grouped in with, with I, them. I,
2: you know, I, I was, I was, I, I felt that was a matter of honor that they went after me, and mm-hmm. how petty they got. You know, if I go into a, a, a radio station in Monterey and the person says, "This is Doctor Victor Hansen." I don't like being called doctor, but I don't try to just embarrass people, right? Right. And he says you wrote an article about uh, weather, and I was just, I was just trying to explain that maybe we whether or not the COVID virus would react like the flu, i.e., would it be less common in the summer? Seasonal, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. and it, it it is to a certain degree, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden I get a you know from Stanford Alumni Association. You went on Monterey and you claimed you were an MD. You said okay. doctor. I I said just find me the transcript and tell me where whether I did. Of course I didn't. And he said, "Well, you didn't correct it." I said, "If I had to correct every time somebody called me Dr. Hanson, I would be a pedantic moron." But that's the kind of that was a level of abuse that you took and that was just a fraction of what Scott took and Jay and John and all uh, the rest yeah. of
1: Weird thing because you live in a profession or you're part of a profession that 90% of them desire deeply to be called doctor at any you Are you
2: attacking our first lady? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Do- hey, Victor. Dr. Jill?
1: <laughs> Doc- oh, that's right. She's the most bogus doctor of, of, of all. Oh, come on. She has an
2: EDD. She's Jill uh, Biden, community college teacher with an EDD. Uh, and remember, she correct when she was vice president. Second Lady of the Nation, remember she corrected people in public about that.
1: Yeah, well, that's uh, that's on, right on point. Okay, Victor, we have we have gone uh, above and beyond on on the time frame here, so we're going to have to uh, yeah. uh, wrap it up. I I do want to thank our listeners, particularly if you're you know new to this program, thanks for uh, listening. And again, uh, four or five times a week is uh, is how often Victor is sharing his wisdom. If you listen on um, Apple or iTunes, which I'm told still exists, even though I've been corrected on that one way or another. I'm a troglodyte. I'm not sure. Anyway, on Apple Podcasts, you can leave uh, ratings up to five stars, and uh, 99% of people who do leave ratings do leave five-star ratings. Thank you very much. Some people leave comments. We read them. And here's one. It's from uh, Dog 65 and it's titled Central California's Own, and he writes, or she writes, uh, first heard VDH on the Hugh Hewitt Show years ago, seen him on documentaries about U.S. history, recently heard him on the Federalist Radio Hour podcast talking about the left's lack of regard of the First Amendment, how all the lies that are fed to us—it's eye-opening. I live in California and can't believe how many people just buy into the foolishness. COVID, the FBI, the media's utter contempt for anyone who doesn't live in the coastal elite enclaves—anyway, etc. Keep up the great work, Dodger Dog sixty-five. Thank you, uh, Dodger Dog. Uh, appreciate. Uh, that and all who have left comments here and also many people leave comments on victor's website again that's victorhanson.com don't forget five bucks to to get your toe in the door as a subscription fifty dollars a year uh victor thanks again for sharing so much wisdom and we will be back soon with another episode of the victor davis hanson show bye-bye
2: again thanks everybody for listening it's much appreciated it really is